Good morning again. Go oh, good. Thank you. So uh, last night I was talking to Stevie, who is my dog, the greatest dog in the world. That's not opinion. That's actually been proven. And uh, so I was talking to her about a joke for today. So I was like, I don't have one. Like I got nothing. Alexa has nothing. And so uh, I asked her, and she's like, Well, I got one. She barked it, and I translated. And uh, so here it is. And this is from her. If you don't like it. Uh, so, what breed of dog can jump higher than buildings? No cheating if you're in first service. Uh, the answer is all dogs because buildings don't jump. There we go. Some of you. There was a delayed, like, wait a second. Okay, good. Anytime you can leave people on a joke that's kind of an eh laugh, that's the time. That's good. That's where I like it. Uh, so, we are continuing. The Home Run Life series. And in this series, we are taking a deeper look at the people from the Bible, the, the characters that, that we've read and heard about and, and talked about for so long, and we're looking at who they are and, and how they served God and what they did. And for me, when, in my messages, uh, I'm trying to, to look at people who we don't talk about very much. And so last week, I talked about Aaron, Moses' brother, and, and you know we talked so much about Moses, but Aaron was right there. And so this week, I, I want to talk about Jonathan. Now, if you, I'm sure you listened to the reading of the Old Testament, so you kind of have a spoiler of what we're looking at. But I want you to think about Jonathan and, and what it would be like to be in his position as I read this. Uh, and so we're going to 1 Samuel 19, 1 through 10. Saul now urged his servants and his son Jonathan to assassinate David. But Jonathan, because of his strong affection for David, told him what his father was planning. Tomorrow morning, he warned him, you must find a hiding place out in the fields. I'll ask my father to go out there with me, and I'll talk to him about you. Then I'll tell you everything I can find out. So one of the things we do, uh, especially when it's a, a story that we've heard about a lot, is we jump right to the characterization that we know. So for King Saul, we know that he tried to kill David, and we know that he was a bad guy, and we know that he turned from God. And so we kind of peg him as that, and it's like, that's all he is. But nobody's ever one thing. And here's the thing. Saul was actually called to be king, and he showed great humility when he was called. And so he's like, hey, better people than me can do this. And that's a big departure from who he became. But at the beginning, this is who he was. And so he followed God, and he did his best. And he actually was a lot like David, especially in those early days. And he, he, put, God, he, he put God first. And he did everything he could to, to just truly lead Israel. And so he wasn't just this bad guy that we saw. And so Jonathan is in a really difficult position because he sees his father and he knows who he's become, but he also knows who he used to be. And he's heard the stories. He's seen him. I'm sure that he was loving at some point. And so he sees all of that and he sees his best friend, David. And he knows David's heart and he knows what he's all about. And so he's in this position as the prince, as a son, as a friend, as all of this. And he has to decide what to do. So often for us as Christians, we kind of talk in a daydreamy way sometimes about standing up. About standing up for what's right. And we kind of picture uh, like end time stuff. Or we kind of picture some, some event where it's like illegal to go to church. Or, or something truly evil is there and it's so obvious. And, and it's like we're going to stand up and that's good. And we think about that. And, and that's awesome. And we think about people who dislike us or, or, or places that are bad or whatever. And we think about that and it's like, yeah, yeah, I can stand up. I can do this. But here's the thing. 
Most of the time, it's much less obvious than that. And we have to stand up in a way to show Jesus, and that's what we're called to do. And sometimes it can be with family. Sometimes it can be with friends. Sometimes it can even be with an organization or even a religion. We look at people like, Charles, uh, like John Wesley, who had to stand up against the Church of England and, and make these decisions, or Martin Luther, who stood up. And throughout time, we've had different people like that. And so it's not always obvious, but, but it always has to be for the right reason. And you see, Jonathan didn't stand up to, to talk to David and to talk to Saul because of himself. He didn't want to shine a spotlight on himself. He didn't think he was awesome. He didn't think he was always right. He wasn't standing up against King Saul. He wasn't even standing up for David. He was standing up for God. To show what God wanted to bring that, that, that feeling of God to the room. To, to show like, hey, we still have a better way, guys. And he had this hope and he had this desire. And so we go to verse 4 to see how it works out at first. The next morning, Jonathan spoke with his father about David, saying many good things about him. The king must not sin against his servant David, Jonathan said. He's never done anything to harm you. He has always helped you in any way he could. Have you forgotten about the time he risked his life to kill the Philistine giant and how the Lord brought a great victory to all Israel as a result? You were certainly happy about it then. Why should you murder an innocent man like David? There is no reason for it at all. So Saul listened and Jonathan, to Jonathan and vowed, as surely as the Lord lives, David will not be killed. Afterward, Jonathan called David and told him what had happened. Then he brought David to Saul and David served in the court as before. So telling David took some courage. Like going out and, and knowing that Saul was watching because Saul was fairly jealous and, and paranoid at this point. So he probably had a bunch of nanny cams like in those little teddy bears all around Jonathan's room. And he probably had uh, like monitoring on his texting and, and what he was Snapchatting and all this stuff. And I lost some of you on that, but that's fine. But he was paying very close attention. So he knew, he, I'm sure he knew that Jonathan went to talk to David. So that took some courage, but you know, he can talk his way out of that. It's his best friend and, and you know, all of that so it's not super hard overall but talking to Saul not just going to Saul with the truth but going to him in a loving way took great courage you see like I said often when we picture this standing up we kind of have a bad guy in our mind and it's like I'm going to really shut them down and so Jonathan could have walked into this and been like dad you are being truly evil and you've really changed and you've just lost God and you're the worst person in the world and, and David's so good and I can't believe you're doing this and I just can't stand you. And so what's going to happen? I mean, Saul has a moves and it involves spears and so it probably wouldn't have been great for Jonathan at that point. But also, imagine, and, and you know it can be a hard thing to imagine, but imagine that in your life you've done something or said something that you shouldn't have. And imagine that someone that you love or someone that you trust or someone that you know very closely comes up to you. Maybe it's a, 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 a spouse or a family member or Randy or somebody who comes up to you and just, they, they just start screaming. And like, I cannot believe you did that. I can't believe that, that you just were so unthoughtful and you were so evil and I just, I don't even know you anymore. And just screaming and yelling and cursing you. Now, how are you going to respond? Probably you're not going to be like, oh, wow, you know what? I have never heard it in such a rageful, angry way, and I never, that really made me stop and think. 
No, we're going to be like, we're going to yell louder. We're going to get mad. You're going to get defensive. That's how it works. And so standing up means standing up in the right way. And so Jonathan, he shows great strength and great courage and great Christ-likeness in going to Saul and not talking to the Saul that is there, but talking to the Saul that he believes is still in his heart and saying, hey, Dad, don't you remember what it was like? Don't you remember what God has done for us? Don't you remember what David has done? Look at this. And he's talking to him. And he understands something that we all need to understand is Saul had his motives. Now, they were wrong. But in Saul's eyes, he is seeing David as he sees himself now. And so he has become very paranoid and jealous and prideful. And so he's seeing David as if David has the motives that Saul would have. And sometimes we do that. We put our own motives or what we would do or what we have done on someone else. And even though that's wrong, it's not that Saul's like, I just want to be the most evil person in the world. He's like, I'm trying to protect something. And, you know, he's mixed up, but he sees it that way. And so Jonathan talks to him and he doesn't call him names and he doesn't hate him and he doesn't say, you're the worst father in the history of time. He just tries to remind him of who he is. He tries to break past that pride and jealousy and tries to help him. I have a quote from my old school chum, C.S. Lewis. A friend is someone who knows the song in your heart and can sing it back to you when you have forgotten the words. I love that quote. A friend is someone who knows the song in your heart. They know who you really are. They know what you want in life. They know your faith. That's why I always tell people, I advise people to, for your very closest friends, you can be friends with all kinds of people, but your very closest friends should be someone who shares your faith, who shares your values, who shares the way you see things for moments like this. And you see, a lot has been said about Jonathan and David's friendship. They're used as examples of being best friends, and it's just this is what friendship should look like, and look how much he cares, and look who he is. But he is also being a friend to his father by honestly and gently telling him the truth. You see, he's speaking to him from the heart, using, using reasoning and reminding him and trying to help him and, and not just turning him into a villain. He's being a friend. And being a friend means gentle honesty. It means loving truthfulness. It means being legit and saying no sometimes. And reminding people of the song in their heart. But that's the easy part of it. Because all of us can give good advice, I'm sure. Oh, I'm not going to say what I saw some people do there. There are some looks at people next to them, but that's fine. All of us can give good advice. We all know when someone else is acting up. But how are we at taking it? How are we accepting loving honesty? How are we accepting when our song is going in the wrong direction? And you see, for Jonathan to have any impact here means that he had to be willing to listen to David and listen to Saul, and he was, and that's who he was. You see, being a friend doesn't just mean being honest lovingly and being an example. It means accepting and listening what someone else is saying to you. It doesn't mean doing everything everybody says, but it means that if somebody comes to you and is like, hey, you know, I just, I see this in you, not just immediately being like, shut up, I know more than you. And so Jonathan is showing us what it means to, to truly have a discussion and truly just see someone 
Not just for their actions, but who they could be. And showing that, and that's so important to this story and so important to him. And since he stood up for what's right, and since he did good, we know that it all went perfect from here. And I can just say that's all I've got, and then we're done, and it's all good. We get to go home happy. Unfortunately, that's not how life works. And so we go to verse 8. War broke out again after that. Uh, And David led his troops against the Philistines. He attacked them with such fury that they all ran away. But one day when Saul was sitting at home with spear in hand, the tormenting spirit from the Lord suddenly came upon him again. As David played the harp, Saul hurled his spear at David. But David dodged out of the way, and leaving the spear stuck in the wall, he fled and escaped into the night. So in order to throw a spear hard enough to stick in the wall, you have to be pretty mad. Now, I didn't bring one to throw, mostly because I don't have one, but also because I don't think I could throw it hard enough from here. Also, because that would probably have a negative impact on my job. It's tough to come back from that. But it's easy for us, and I believe that as we heard this, we all kind of had the same thought, at least initially. Because we're all humans and we all know human nature. And I think that a lot of us at least thought, well, he didn't really even try. It's like a paragraph. Saul said he was going to change and he didn't change. What's he doing? Like, he's not at all. But I think that's wrong. I think that he truly tried. And I think that's shown in the passage before when he listens to Jonathan. You see, if he were truly lost, when Jonathan comes to him, even reasonably, even lovingly, He's going to throw a spear right there. He's going to be so angry right there. He's like, I'm the king. I do what I want. I'm always right. But he listens, and he's like, you know what? Let's try this. And so I believe he really tried, but he only looked at it on a surface level. And his issue was a deep heart issue of pride, which led to jealousy, which led to anger. And so I think he, he, he needed to go deeper. But instead, he's just like, well, I did this wrong, so I'm not going to do that wrong again. But he didn't look deep enough, and so... He listened, he showed humility, but just he, he didn't go deep enough. For him, as I said, the underarching, the overall issue was pride. He believed his own hype. He got too big for his britches, and that led to jealousy, to anger, to all of these other things that he had going on. And so now, even after Jonathan stood up, it's worse than before. Because he just actively tried to kill David. And so now he's actively seeking David's death and has people not just saying, hey, go assassinate him. He's like leading people after David. And so he's even going after Jonathan and he's so angry and he's so different and everything is so awful. And we go to uh, chapter 20, verse 32 through 42. But why should he be put to death? Jonathan asked his father. What has he done? This is after a lot of bad stuff happened. Uh, Then Saul hurled his spear at Jonathan, intending to kill him. So at last, Jonathan realized that his father was really determined to kill David. Jonathan left the table in fierce anger and refused to eat on that second day of the festival, for he was crushed by his father's shameful behavior toward David. The next morning, uh, as agreed, Jonathan went out into the field and took a young boy with him to gather his arrows. Start running, he told the boy, so you can find the arrows as I shoot them. So the boy ran, and Jonathan shot an arrow beyond him. When the boy had almost reached the arrow... Jonathan shouted, the arrow is still ahead of you. Hurry, hurry, don't wait. So the boy quickly gathered up the arrows and ran back to his master. He, of course, suspected nothing. Only Jonathan and David understood this signal. Then Jonathan gave his bow and arrows to the boy and told him to take them back into town. So again, Jonathan goes to Saul. 
And again he stands up. And again he tries. Now here is where he's truly exemplifying Jesus to us. You see, it took courage and it took strength and it took being like Jesus to try before. But it's trying that second time and that third time and continuing to try that is so hard. Because it's so easy to be like, I tried. I said something. You know, I, I did something. I, I, I gave. I, I stood up and it didn't work. They didn't listen. I've done my part. And Jonathan could have done that. He could have said, I tried. I talked to both of them. I did my best. What, no, they didn't change. It's gone. And he could have taken some comfort and been like, hey. And so sometimes we stop there. Well, I have a quote from another great minister, another great disciple of Christ. This is Mr. Rogers. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about him later. But actually, I don't know if I've said this to you guys before. Because I preach in both and sometimes I forget what I say and I repeat myself or I don't repeat myself, etc. Sometimes it's just me talking to myself and I don't realize. Uh, but Mr. Rogers, I know that everybody here knows who he is. Um, but my favorite thing about him is the origin of the show. And so he was in seminary training to be a pastor. And he went home one weekend, and it was like the weekend that they first got a TV, and TVs had just been invented. And so he turns it on, and there's like three channels, if that. And it's like a bunch of hitting people with frying pans and, and Marx Brothers stuff and all that kind of stuff. You know, you guys, I was there, you guys weren't. But, you know, it's a long time ago. And he sees that. And a lot of people, especially people training to be in the ministry, would have said, this is worthless, and look at what's on this. I'm going to dedicate my life to destroying this. But what he said was, there is a chance to reach people for Christ using this. And he's like, there's a need. There's all of these bad things on here, but I can do something good, and I can help children. I can set an example. And that's why I put him up with people like C.S. Lewis. Because he truly stood up like Jonathan and practiced what he preached and did all of that. And so here's his quote. We live in a world in which we need to share responsibility. It's easy to say it's not my child, not my community, not my world, not my problem. Then there are those who see the need and respond. I consider these people my heroes. And he would never say it, but he was one of those people. He saw a need and he responded. And Jonathan and us at times could have said, it's not my problem. I tried. I gave. I did something. You know, it doesn't affect me. I already gave everything I could. What more could I do? And Jonathan could have stopped and he could have felt good enough. But what he did was show Christ in such an amazing way. He put his life literally on the line because the spear came at him too. And he put his life on the line. He stood up. He practiced what he preached. And it is hard. It is hard to continue to try, to continue to stand up when people do not listen. It's hard to pour our lives out to someone and then for them to turn away. Or to just do everything we can to be like Jesus and then to turn on the news or Facebook or something and just see how bad it can get. And it's like nothing changes. It just continues. It continues getting bad and it just continues being hard. Well, here is the news from the Bible. Not everybody listened to Jesus either. Not even all the disciples listened to him. And yet he kept trying. He kept going because he saw the value even in the people that didn't listen. He saw the hope. He saw the worth. And he did. He poured everything out every day, every step of the way. 
And he said to us and to his disciples, like, hey, they're going to hate you and they're not going to listen. But you can do it because I'm with you. And that's so amazing. And Jonathan is showing it. And Jonathan is willing to die for what's right. He's willing to give everything he has. Not to stand up for himself because that's messed up. Not even to stand against Saul. Not even to stand up for David, but to stand for God and show him. Show who he is. Show who he can be. Show what he can do. And he stands there and he does what's right. Even though nothing is changing around him. Going to verse 41. As soon as the boy was gone, David came out from where he had been hiding near the stone pile. Then David bowed three times to Jonathan with his face on the ground. Both of them were in tears as they embraced each other and said goodbye, especially David. At last, Jonathan said to David, go in peace, for we have sworn loyalty to each other in the Lord's name. The Lord is the witness of a bond between us and our children forever. Then David left and Jonathan returned to the town. Although neither of them knew at this point, this was the last time they'd meet in person until just before Jonathan's death. And so neither of them saw what was coming. They didn't know what life was going to be like. I believe that as they were talking here, even though they're crying, even though they're upset, they're like, we're doing what's right. We're doing our best. We're we're trying to be an example. And so eventually it's going to work out. Either Saul's going to go away or he's going to get it or something's going to change. I'm going to be able to come back. We're going to be able to be friends again. We're we're going to be able to live the lives that we want to. And I believe they both had hopes of, of just, you know, eventually. But then days passed and then months passed and then weeks passed, except before months passed. And then years passed. And it's just getting worse because Saul keeps getting angrier and angrier and David's hiding in caves and and just trying to stay alive and Jonathan is stuck in the lion's den, so to speak. Like we think about what David went through and it's horrible, but Jonathan has to be there every day and it probably came up a lot like, hey, this is your fault. And so he feared for his life and he tried, had to try to live as God in this, or live for, like God in this place where it was very hard. As I said for us, trying our best, living like Jesus, exemplifying who he is and what he can do, and seeing no change, that's hard. It's just so hard because we have such high hopes and we know what it can be like to live for him. We're here because of that, because he's changed our lives or he's touched our lives or he's done something that we've seen. And we've just grown and come here and been like, wow, I've got to share this. I've got to show this. And even when we do everything right, sometimes things don't change. And so it's easy to get disheartened and it's easy to lose faith and it's even easy to stop. And be like, I've tried. I've done it. It's just, it's not going to change. They're never going to change. Nothing's going to change. I have one more quote, and this is from Billy Graham. Never forget that God isn't bound by time the way we are. We see only the present moment. God sees everything. We see only part of what he is doing. He sees it all. You see, this was not the result that David or Jonathan wanted. But God had a bigger picture in mind. And he was still there. And it doesn't mean he didn't care about Saul. Because if Saul had gone to him and just said, I'm sorry, God would have given him redemption. 
and it was hard for everyone, but God had the larger picture in mind, and he loved everyone involved, and he was there for everyone involved, and he helped them, but, but he had this, this plan for the Messiah to come from the line of David, and for David to learn what it's like to, to, to find redemption, because David kind of went the prideful way for a while too, like Saul, and he was able to come back, God sent a messenger to him, and he's able to be like, hey, you're being like Saul, and David's like, whoa, I know what that's like. And for Jonathan, it had to be so hard to just not see it. But, but God saw everything. Last week, over there, I talked about my call. And I talked about how I originally went to college for uh, secondary education to be an English teacher. And then I realized that to be an English teacher, you have to speak publicly. And I was like, I can't do that. Meanwhile, God's like, hey couple years from now you're gonna be in on a joke that you don't get right now and then so I continued going through college just changed it to English which is the most lucrative field you can do <laughs> so dollar signs in my eyes and so I majored in English and, and and minored in political science and I didn't know what I wanted to do so I worked for the government in a secret capacity for a couple years don't ask questions then I was a reporter as I was taking care of my grandma and I was a substitute teacher and a coach and doing all these different things. And, and through it all, I'm like, none of this is fitting. Like, this is all temporary. It feels so just not enough. Is this my life? Is everything going to be my life? Like, it's been months or it's been years. Like, nothing's changing. And it was hard. And so for me and for us, I could only see what was right in front of me. But God saw everything. And so looking back now, and you know, you guys can do this too, I'm sure. Looking back now, I see his hand and how he was leading me and how I learned all of these things and how it brought me to this moment. But in the moment, man, all I could see was what's right in front of me. But God sees it all, and not just time. He sees our hearts. And he sees the seeds we plant. You see, one of the things that makes it hard, and I wish that I could bring everyone in here that, that you've ever met in your lives that, that you've impacted. And so I could bring them in and they could all stand up here and say like, hey, you know, I saw you be so nice to that waitress or, or, or I heard you talk about Jesus in such a way or I just saw such love come from you that it impacted me. And even though we never talked, it just really changed my life and I found Christ and I moved on. It would be awesome if I could do that. Unfortunately, most of the lives we touch, we're never going to know. But they're still touched. And God knows. You see, Jonathan, in his mind, in his heart, he's hoping to change Saul, to help Saul find peace, to help Saul find God. Saul didn't. But I guarantee, and I feel very confident in this guarantee, I guarantee there was someone else in the kingdom who saw Jonathan continuing to try, even when it seemed futile, continuing to even love his father and try to help him, even as all of this is going wrong. And they're like, wow. So that's an example of God. Like Saul's not living it, but look at his son. And they probably never talked to him, but they felt that. And then they told their family and their family told someone else. And that's how this goes. It'd be awesome and it'd be easier if we could see it, but man, it still happens. And that's because God works through us and God has this long view and he has a bigger picture and he sees how all of it fits together and he has a plan for each of us. And even when we don't realize our impact, it is there. 
It is there. And even though it gets hard to continue trying, that is how we are like Jesus. We try, and we try, and we try, and we try, and we do our best, and we just do that every day. And when it gets hard, we talk to people that understand, and we pray, and we get together, and it's like, hey, we're a part of something more. Because here's the thing. We are a part of something more. We're a part of the bigger picture, the grand scheme that God has for everyone. And there are people that will see your example that will never hear my words. And it impacts them, even if you don't know, and it plants a seed, and God is there, and he has plans for them. I was talking a little bit earlier to Bonnie. I think. I talked to a lot of people. but uh, Billy Graham, there was a point right at the beginning of when he's feeling called to the ministry, and he came to a revival, and the place was packed. And he goes to the usher, and the usher is supposed to say there's no room, like there's no way to come in. But he just feels something, and he's like, hey, I'm going to find you a seat, and he found him a seat. Now, God had a plan for Billy Graham, and Billy Graham was going to find his way into the ministry no matter what, but that usher had a role, even though he never realized he had a role. I used these three specific people today, and I use quotes a lot because I love to see how people live this out. But to me, and you can argue this, to me, C.S. Lewis, Fred Rogers, and Billy Graham are the three strongest examples of what a disciple is since Paul. Now again, there are a lot of people like John Wesley and just a bunch of people we can think of that fit in there. But to me, just looking at how C.S. Lewis started just as an atheist and against this, and then J.R.R. Tolkien, to, drop, to name drop, uh, helped him like, find his path, and C.S. Lewis came to the decision on his own on a train, and he found Jesus, and then he dedicated his life to writing about Jesus, to speaking about Jesus, to, to just putting all of these amazing works in the world, like Chronicles of Narnia, The Great Divorce, The Screwtape Letters. Like, I would encourage you to read his stuff because he really thought it out. Mr. Rogers, who, as I said, could have gone a completely different way and just, just been like, hey, this is awful, I'm going to go the opposite way. But he's like, I can do something good. And then he touched so many lives. So many children grew up who wouldn't have felt love maybe otherwise, and they felt it from him. And he continued to live that out, and he's such a great example. And there have been documentaries about him, and they can't find anything bad to say about him because he was trying to be like Jesus. Billy Graham, same thing. He preached and he wrote and he just poured everything he could out. Up until he died. Like he put out a DVD about, his, his, about ministry like basically the month before he died essentially. And he even had like a rule where he wouldn't even go on an elevator alone with a woman unless his wife was there. And it's not that he's like, oh, something's going to happen. But he was aware of what people think and he's aware people wanted to try to take him down. But he did his best. Now, none of these three are perfect. And we look at them, and we look at Jonathan, and it's like, man, they, they, they were so big. Like, how could I ever do that? Well, it started somewhere. And it started with trying. And it started with seeing the world as it is. And saying, I'm going to be like Jesus. And then trying, and trying, and trying, and trying, and continuing. And maybe none of us are going to be like one of these three in terms of like global impact. 
but the, peoples who, the people whose lives we touch. That's how it matters. To them, they don't care if there's a million people that listen to you or see you. Because to them, they feel that. That's what we can learn from Jonathan. That's what we can learn from the example set that we are part of something more and that God has a plan. And here's the thing. To help us along the way, you are truly loved. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Nothing. You are truly valued. As the New Testament scripture that she read said, all of the hairs on your head, even if they're not there, are numbered. He knows everything about you and he loves you. And you are never alone. Jonathan may have felt alone. David may have felt alone. But God walked with them. And he walks with us. All we have to do is keep trying. Keep doing our best. And he'll take care of everything else. That's all I got.